were the disciples hallucinating? We're continuing our series of studies on objections to the resurrection, and so far we've covered two of the theories so far, the theft theory, that Jesus' body was stolen from the tomb, and the swoon theory, uh, the, the theory that Jesus didn't really die on the cross, but that he only passed out or fainted. But today we're considering the hallucination theory. It's also being called the, the, the vision theory. And this is the argument. It's that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. The disciples and the other 500 people who saw him after he died were merely hallucinating. They had a vision. So they really did see Jesus, but it wasn't actually Jesus physically in the flesh. Now, where did this idea come from? Well, the idea, the theory came from uh, a man named Dev, uh, David Friedrich Strauss uh, from the 19th century. And he was a German, he was a liberal Protestant theologian, and he's the one who started this idea of searching for the historical Jesus. Now, you've probably seen this online or in magazines, at the store, or whatever it might be. Uh, in other words, what they're saying, this idea in search for the historical Jesus is that the Jesus spoken about in the scriptures is not historical or accurate, so they say. So it's our job to demythologize the text. So take out all of the things that are myth from the text and find out who Jesus really was. So that means changing the eyewitness accounts to what we think they should read and say. It means removing any claims of the miraculous or inexplicable events. Now, no, we don't do this with any other kind of history, but apparently when it comes to the Gospels, when it comes to Scripture, uh, that's the, uh, the approach that many take. Now, one of the attempts at removing the miraculous eyewitness accounts of the resurrection is to call it simply a vision or hallucination. Now, this theory is often divided up into two kinds of visions, right? So there's the subjective vision and then an objective vision. Now, of these two, I'm only going to focus on the subjective, subjective vision theory. The objective vision theory states that God caused everyone to see a vision of Jesus and that it was a spiritual reality, that the resurrection of Jesus was a spiritual resurrection, uh, but not physical. Now, it's a ridiculous argument, and I'm not even going to go into refuting it. It was proposed by, um, by someone in 1964, uh, but no one has repeated it since. So I'm not even going to address the objective vision theory, but I am going to focus on the one that a lot of people do throw out and a lot of people think is valid. They'll say, well, maybe the disciples and everybody else just thought they saw Jesus, kind of like uh, people think they see Elvis after his death. So, um, so I'm going to focus on the subjective vision theory. And, uh, uh, and, and what this states is that, that an apparent act of vision that takes place uh, for which there is no corresponding external object. So you imagine it or you see it in your mind, but your eye is not actually seeing it. There's no actual object there. Uh, the idea um, that is that out of great misery and anguish at the death of Jesus, people decided to comfort themselves by claiming they saw Jesus or that their sadness and hysteria caused them to hallucinate and see visions of Jesus that were not really there. Okay, so was this all simply a vision or hallucination? 
I'll respond with a number of arguments. I think I have about six of them. So uh, the first is this. Uh, the account of Jesus' resurrection does not conform to any principles of hallucinations according to psychiatrists. So only certain kinds of people have hallucinations in certain states of mind. They don't have them continuously or all the time. Typically, they're high-strung or highly imaginative or very nervous people. Now, the people who saw Jesus were all different kinds of people, all in different places and in different states of mind. So consider Mary Magdalene saw Jesus while she was weeping. The women who went to the tomb were afraid and astonished. Peter was remorseful and full of guilt. Thomas was doubting and skeptical. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, on the road to Emmaus were hopeless. The disciples in Galilee were fishing. So they're all in different places, doing different things in different states of mind, and it's not consistent with our observation of those who do hallucinate. Now, the second point is this. Hallucinations are linked to an individual's subconscious, to his particular past experiences. The accounts that people had with Jesus after his resurrection were very individualistic and extremely subjective. Hallucinations conform to what is already in someone's mind, someone's past experience, and these visions can't be shared by multiple people. For example, it's like having a dream. Now, you, you have very vivid dreams and sometimes they feel very real. And you can describe your dream to someone uh, that you had during the night. But no one else can see the dream you had. No one else will be able to recount the very things that you saw in your dream. Now, that's how hallucinations work. The problem with the hallucination theory is that it has no way to explain the account of Jesus interacting with so many people after his resurrection, not just individually, but in groups, groups of 11, to the women at the tomb, where there were two of them, uh, to the 500 people at once, that there were 500 eyewitnesses who all saw the same exact thing, who saw Jesus standing before them, interacting with them, and so on, is not consistent with hallucination theory. Now, the third point is that there was empirical evidence for those who did see Jesus. Those who saw him didn't only see him with their eye from a distance, but they touched him and they ate with him and they spoke with him and they all heard and remembered the words, not only that they said, but the words that he said to them. Now, all of these experiences happened at once. It's not like they felt a touch one day and then they heard something another day and they saw something out of the corner of their eye another day as if they were all separate and isolated. These things happened together where they saw him, they heard him, they touched him, they ate with him, all happening at the same time. And not just that, but that there were other people there too who saw and verified the same thing. The historical accounts tell us that Jesus met the, uh, the, the people, they saw him, they knew him, they thought they saw a spirit or a ghost or a vision at first, but then they touched his hands and feet they touched his flesh, his wounds. They all saw him during the same time period within 40 days. He ate in front of them. He gave them food. They heard him speak. There's no disagreement on what he said when he spoke. Now, those who hallucinate 
don't have long dialogues with those they're seeing. Usually the information is the same that they've already received or in conformity with what they'd expect to hear. But that's not the case with Jesus. He's saying things that are different now. Okay, the fourth point. Hallucinations are restricted in terms of when and where they occur. Now, hallucinations are usually experienced in a place with a nostalgic atmosphere, in places that are familiar. People who have visions or hallucinations are in places where they're reminiscing about a person. But when Christ appeared and stood in front of the eyewitnesses, they were not in familiar places. It would make sense if the appearances all had taken place in one, uh, taken place uh, to one or two individuals in one or two particular sacred and private places which the disciples shared with Jesus. Like, for example, uh, if Jesus, they, if the disciples said Jesus appeared to them in the upper room or something, then that would make sense that maybe it was a hallucination. But that's not the case with Jesus' appearances. Now consider the different times and places. The women saw him early in the morning at the tomb. The disciples on the road to Emmaus saw him in the afternoon on the road in their home. A few talked to him privately in broad daylight. The disciples talked with him uh, by the lake in the morning. On a Galilean mountain, he appeared uh, on a Galilean mountain uh, to 500 people. Now all of this shows that Jesus was not seen in familiar places and at specific times of the day. It was all varied. Now the fifth point is hallucinations require people to anticipate and to be expectant. To It, it causes their wish and their desire to turn into a vision. In other words, in order to have visions, you must intensely want to believe that something is there when it really isn't. And this requires a long period of time, a lot of mental preparation, conditioning, and thinking in a repeated pattern before the vision or hallucination occurs. For example, some people uh, who have lost loved ones can experience something like this, like a mother whose son is missing in action or who was uh, uh, taken away and never found. Um, uh, so you, you have the, the idea that that this mother misses her son and she remembers how he used to come home every day at 5.30. So she sits and she waits for him every afternoon, remembering him, believing that he is still alive, wanting him to come home. And then after months of thinking this way and expecting this and being in the right state of mind, she may even one day see her son or hallucinate or have a vision that he is there, that he did come home, or that she did see him in the distance. But this takes a really long time, and, and it also takes a desire to see something that is not there. Well, we have two problems with the appearances. Two problems with the appearances of Jesus. First, they saw him three days after his death, and for a period of 40 days, and second, they didn't all believe, or they didn't believe, not all, no, no one believed that he was alive. The disciples didn't believe Jesus to be alive. They were, in fact, skeptical and shaken up and afraid and so on. And it would make sense if the disciples refused to believe that he died. But they saw him die. 
and they knew he was dead. They were all crestfallen and they locked themselves indoors out of fear. Mary went to the tomb with spices. Why? Not because she thought he was alive, but she went to anoint the dead body of Jesus. She did not expect him to be alive. Now, the sixth point is this. Hallucinations tend to last for a few seconds or minutes, and they recur over a long period of time with regularity. Now, hallucinations tend to last only for a few seconds or minutes, and the hallucinations recur more frequently until there's a moment of great crisis, or they occur less frequently until they fade away. But here's the problem. Jesus was seen for 40 days. And not only for seconds or minutes at a time, but hours at a time, even more. All of the accounts of Jesus after his resurrection come to an end at the same time. They didn't just trickle off or fade away, but they came to a sudden stop after 40 days. Now, it's not just remarkable that so many people saw him during the 40 days, but it's just as remarkable that everyone stopped seeing him at the same time. Now, if you believe this was simply a vision, then what caused the vision to appear to so many people? And then what caused the vision to disappear to everyone at once? How did it happen to everyone at the same time? Now, the hallucination theory is inconsistent with the fact that the visions came to a sudden and definite end. Now, visions of the dead were always associated with spirits and ghosts, but no one would confuse the vision of a spirit or a ghost or some shiny object with a bodily resurrection. A mere vision of Jesus would never lead to the belief that Jesus was physically resurrected uh, from the dead. At most, he would be perceived as an exalted martyr standing at the right hand of God or something like that, uh, or an angel or something of that nature. But the fact that they say he had a body standing before him this is remarkable. Now, the problem with this theory is that every single thing we know about hallucinations is violated by the resurrection account. There is no pattern being followed with the hallucinations. The disciples were not gullible. In fact, they were very slow to believe. They were hard-headed and stubborn. And just read the Gospels and see how hard they fought Jesus on his teachings and how hard they fought for Jesus not to die on the cross in the first place, even though he said he must. And then see how distraught they were once he had died. Now, implicitly, the hallucination theory, if someone posits this and says, well, this is a, 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 a valid theory, a valid explanation for what happened, that everybody just saw a vision, well, this hallucination theory proves something that it isn't intending to. It's another proof, implicitly, that the tomb of Jesus was empty. If the tomb was still there, closed, and Jesus' body still there, then the, then the apostles could not have believed the resurrection. They would have had proof that they only had visions. But if it was all a hallucination, then where was his body? Why was the tomb empty? Why was the stone rolled away? Even more, if everyone was simply hallucinating, then the Jews could have simply put it all to an end and said, everybody be quiet, you're all lying, you're all just seeing things because here is the body of Jesus. They knew exactly where that tomb was. They could have shown them. Now, hallucinations would uh, simply explain the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, but it would not explain the empty tomb, 
the rolled away stone, the linen, or the inability to produce a body. Now, one individual claiming to have seen something with no other eyewitnesses is not credible and that's easily dismissed. Now, two or three having an eyewitness testimony in the same place and same time, hearing and remembering the same thing. Now, that's quite another. They can't all be mistaken. Their stories match. They go together. Now, that's already enough proof to be accepted as true. As the scriptures say, let everything be uh, um, uh, based on the uh, witnesses, on the witness and evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, but the fact that there are over 500 people seeing the same thing is now very problematic for the hallucination theory. No scientific data supports the claim of group hallucinations or the fact that they all saw the same thing. And here's the truth. This is what happened. Jesus appeared to many after he resurrected from the dead. He truly died on the cross. He truly resurrected from the dead. And people truly saw him. They were eyewitnesses of what uh, of, of his resurrection, of his body, of his wounds, of his life. They heard him. They spoke with him. They touched him. So I'm going to end the study uh, with a reading from 1 John chapter 1. Now, I want to uh, point something out after this briefly. Um, I want to point out the fact that Christianity is not, is not a faith-based community. We're not based on the, 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 the faith of the apostles. We're not based on um, the faith or the vision of the apostles. We are, Christianity is an eyewitness community. We're gathered around the eyewitness testimony, what people actually saw and heard and, and experienced, and there's historical evidence for all of this. Now, uh, this is what 1 John chapter 1 says, and this is what John is saying. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, take these words to heart. The Christian faith is not based on faith, but on the eyewitness testimony. We are believing the eyewitnesses and what the apostles themselves heard and saw and touched. God granted that to them, and he gives us the faith to believe this truth, even though we have not seen it. And yet he has still given us overwhelming, credible evidence after evidence and proof after proof for his resurrection from the dead. All right, we will continue to focus on these objections to the res resurrection and I will uh, respond to them. Uh, next week, we'll focus on another objection and then after that, I'm going to uh, talk about what, how we view all of these and how do we respond.